Well, pastor summed it up perfectly when he said you're back home. You know, we, we love you, church. Um, this church has been a safe refuge for us for a lot of years. I, I gave my life to Christ in this church while serving on your staff. I've had to explain that story about a million times over the past 12 years. God called us to a city we deeply love out of this church. God has blessed us with lifelong friends and family members and a pastor, mentor, brother, a spiritual father in Christ and, and Chuck Herring that I praise God for every day. We love you, Collierville First Baptist. When we came in the doors today, it did. It felt like we were home. And it feels like that every time we come here, not just because things look familiar, but because we're embraced here. We know that when we come here, that people are for us. You know, it's a rough world out there sometimes. And when you come home and you're embraced the way we always are, we are incredibly moved. I want to invite you today to take your Bibles and to turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Our family, as Pastor mentioned, transitioned from Toronto about six months ago to St. Louis. And in that time, the Spirit keeps bringing this question to me over and, and over and over again. As I'm on my way to meetings, God bursts this question on my heart. When I try to get to bed at night, this question comes into my heart. When we're at the gym, this question comes to my heart. And the question is this, what will you do with your life? What will you do with the life that God has, has given to you. And I, I said, well, God, you, you, you already asked that question and I, I thought I've determined I, I've given this life to you. And that may sound funny to some of you, that question, what will you do with your life? Because for some of you, you're thinking, I've already lived the majority of my life. For some of you, when you hear that question, you think, well, I've already decided what I'm going to do for a career. I'm going to be a doctor or an electrician, or I'm going to go into the trades or the ministry or whatever it may be. And while your employment surely impacts how you live your life, I'm not exclusively talking about what you do for a living. I'm talking about how you spend your time. I'm talking about what you give your energy to. What do you give God's resources to? What do you give your mind to, to ultimately impact the kingdom of God? Our mission statement is we exist to glorify God by totally committing ourselves to Jesus Christ and to the explosive growth of his kingdom, as pastor just read. And so my question to you is this, what are you doing with your life in order to see the explosive growth of the kingdom of God? This morning I want to examine the life of an individual who truly made a great impact. The first follower of Christ that was martyred for his faith, a man named Stephen. 
We're going to spend the majority of our time this morning in Acts chapter 6, verse 7. But allow me to kind of first set the stage for what's taking place in our text. The church is growing at an extraordinary rate. Christ has been crucified, as he said he would be. He went into the grave for three days, as he said he would be. And praise God, he rose from the dead three days later, as he said he would do. And the church is exploding. And as with any church growth, there are certain problems that arise. Here specifically in Acts chapter 6, there are two groups of Jews. There were those who had remained in Judea near Jerusalem who used the Hebrew language and who were appropriately called Hebrews. The other group consisted of those who were scattered among the Gentiles who spoke the Greek language and who used the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. These were called the Hellenist. And the Hellenistic Jews start complaining, complaining, saying, look, our widows are being uh, looked over. They're not being taken care of when it comes to the daily proportions of food. So this is the problem that sets the stage for our introduction to the life of Stephen. Because the 12 disciples, they come together and they determine that we need to focus on the word of God and to prayer, not these other issues. So in Acts chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, they tell the church this. Instead, brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. That is the daily allotment of feeding. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so they put it in the hands of the church, and Stephen is one of the seven who are selected. Now, what I want us to do with the rest of our time together this morning is this. I want us to examine the life of Stephen, and I want us to glean principles from his life to learn and understand how we can live a life worth living, how we can make a great impact for the kingdom of God. And first... The ground floor, the foundation, in order to live a life of great impact, how many of us know today, we must be full of the Holy Spirit. In order to live a life of great impact and worth and influence as God's people, you and I must be full of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 6 verse 5. This announcement found approval with the whole congregation. Everybody was in agreement. That's how you know God was in it, amen? When the church was unified. And they chose Stephen. Watch this, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Now, unfortunately, there is a lot of confusion today when we talk about being full of the Holy Spirit in the church. Some believe that when an individual is full of the Holy Spirit, there should be a physical manifestation of that presence, such as speaking in tongues. However, like all matters, we have to go to the word of God. What does the Bible say about being full of the Holy Spirit? First off, the Holy Spirit is a full-fledged member of the Holy Trinity. Sometimes as Baptists, we gotta be careful, amen? We like to say God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Bible. But it's actually God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. The Bible teaches that salvation apart from the work of the Holy Spirit of God cannot take place. John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. The Bible teaches that the Spirit confirms 
that we are children of God. Romans 8:16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And the Bible teaches that it is only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we are equipped to live for Jesus. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So what does it mean then to be full of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think it's important for us this morning to distinguish the difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God and the feeling of the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus said these words in John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Don't you love that? He will give you another helper to be with you forever. You see, every single individual who has ever repented of their sins and placed their faith and trust in Christ Jesus has the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit within us. The permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit is not just for a few super Christians. It's for all believers. However, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit are two different matters. The Bible teaches that while all believers have the Holy Spirit, listen to this, we can grieve the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can quench his activity on our lives. In other words, we can take away the power of God in our lives. Ephesians chapter four, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. First Thessalonians five nineteen. Do not, a command, do not quench the spirit. And when we continually quench the spirit, when we continually grieve the Holy Spirit over time, the Holy Spirit still indwells his people. That never changes because of the blood of Christ we just sang about. But we are no longer filled with his presence. We are no longer led by his presence. We are no longer anointed by his presence and power. And listen, church, here's the really dangerous part of all this. His activity in our lives begins to diminish. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. How could Stephen live his life full of grace and of power, performing these great wonders and signs? Because he was full of the Holy Spirit. And without the feeling of the Holy Spirit's power, it is impossible for you and I to live a life of great impact. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that he came to give life and to give it more abundantly. Now, I believe every single word that ever came out of our Savior's mouth. Amen. And so if we're not living an abundant life, we either have to say, Jesus, you're a liar, or I am not walking in the power and the presence of God. This is a promise from Christ. So why is it that so many Christians are not living an abundant life in Christ? Why not? One nasty little word that literally changed all of humanity, sin, sin. Living daily in this world, we are presented with ample opportunities to sin, are we not? We sin in our thought life, with our words, with our actions, 
And the more and the more and the more we sin, the more, the more and the more we sin, we are quenching the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So what is the answer? Here's the solution. Consistent, constant, and immediate repentance as soon as the Spirit shows us anything that is outside of the Father's will in our lives. In his book, The Valley of Vision, author Arthur Bennett writes these words. Work in me more profound and abiding repentance. Give me the fullness of godly grief. Isn't that a beautiful sentence? That trembles and fears yet ever trusts and loves, which is ever powerful and ever confident. Grant through the tears of repentance, I may see more clearly the brightness and glories of the saving cross. You see, we are not full of the Holy Spirit because we are not broken over our sin. We tolerate our sin, we manage our sin, we get comfortable with our sin. We, may I even say so much as we love our sin. And then we desire to make a godly impact with our lives, God help us. We must pray, God help me to be broken over my sin. We want the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We must ask the Holy Spirit like the psalmist asked, search me, O God. Like the psalmist says in in, in 51 verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me because we know that without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are dead to rights. We must become people that are needy of the power of the Spirit of God in our lives. Before we move on, I, I don't want us to miss something really, really important. You say, Matt, how can I be full of the Holy Spirit? Well, like we just said, repentance is key. But then also look at what Stephen was also full of. A man full of faith. Did you know even to be full of the Holy Spirit, you gotta be full of faith. And here's the thing, you can't be full of faith without the Holy Spirit. And you can't be full of the Holy Spirit without faith. By faith, you have to believe that God wants you to be full of this anointing. God wants you to be full of this power. Commentator Matthew Henry writes, and I quote, he, Stephen, was full of faith and power. That is of a strong faith by which he was enabled to do great things. How many of us today want to do great things for God? I want to do great things for God. He says, which enables us to do great things. Those that are full of faith are full of power. Because by faith, the power of God is engaged for us. His faith did so fill him that it left no room for unbelief. And it made room for the influences of divine grace. By faith, we are emptied of self. And so are filled with Christ, who is the wisdom of God and the power of God. If you and I want to be led and controlled by the Holy Spirit today, by faith, we must trust and believe that this is God's will and plan for our lives. We must live a life of total dependency of the Holy Spirit in order to live an impactful life. Are you full of the Holy Spirit today? Are you just kind of coasting on your fumes of, I'm a Christian, I'm saved? Or are you full of the power of God today? To live a life of impact, we must be full of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, to have an impactful life, we must display Christ for all to see. Look at verse 15 of Acts chapter 6. 
And all who were sitting in the council stared at him, and they saw his face, which was like the face of an angel. Which was like the face of an angel. How many of you, when your babies came out of the womb, you said, a baby's like an angel? No, this, Stephen's face really did look like the face of an angel. There was really light. Isn't this incredible? Stephen was so full of the Holy Spirit. He was so anointed by God that everyone who saw him saw the power of God on his life. Think with me for a moment what's taking place here. Stephen has been arrested for preaching the gospel. He's been arrested for performing and doing great miracles and wonders amongst the people. Acts chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. Verse 10, but they were unable to cope with his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. And then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and they dragged him away and they brought him before the council. And so here he is before this council. And some people may read this and think, well, Stephen was just very happy. He just had a great disposition about himself. And that's what they're talking about here. But I believe it was much more than that. I believe the power of God so rested upon Stephen's life that it was visible for all to see. Hey, hey, let me ask you a question this morning. When the rest of this world is spinning out of control, obsessed with politics, wars, rumors of wars, hatred for one another, and all the while pulling their hair out as they are filled with anxiety, depression, and overwhelming angst about life in general, or you fill in the blank... Are you right there with the world? Are you right there in the midst of chaos? Or are you like Stephen? Am I like Stephen in the midst of all the wildness displaying Christ for all to see? In other words, am I getting in line with what the word of God and how the Holy Spirit is leading me? Or am I getting over here in this line and going where the world tells me I ought to go? Are my passions, are my mind, is my heart, is it aligned with the things of Christ and his kingdom? Or am I obsessing over things that if we're being flat honest this morning will make no difference when it comes to eternity? How are we living our lives in order to display Christ to a watching world? Now, I'm not suggesting that your face has to light up and shine. I'm asking this morning, do you have the peace of God on your life? Can you say, my child may be sick, but I'm going to display Christ for all the world to see. I may not know how I'm going to pay my bills this month, but I'm going to display Christ for all of the world to see. It looks like my job is about to be cut out, but I'm going to keep on displaying Christ for all of the world to see. Boy, oh boy. Things sure have not gone as planned and as I thought they would go, but no matter what predicament I am in, no matter what valley I am low in, I'm going to keep on displaying Christ for all the world to see. Do we have the peace of God? Do you want to live a life of impact? Even when things aren't going as you like, keep on displaying Christ. Christ. 
Keep on showing Christ to those around you. This passage made me think of Moses' encounter with God. You remember that passage on Mount Sinai? He comes down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Do you remember what the scripture said in Exodus 34? Look at it with me. Verse 29, now it was so when Moses came down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands. When he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. You say, wow, Matt. I want to have that kind of peace. I want to have that kind of power. I want to have that kind of joy. I want to display Christ even during hardships. How can we do that this morning? I'm going to tell you, it is so easy, yet it is so very difficult. You want to know how you can keep displaying Christ in the midst of difficulties? If we want to display Christ for all to see, then we must be with Christ personally. You want to display Christ for all the world to see? Then every single day you have to fight, kick, scratch, and crawl to get to the feet of Jesus every single day. And spend time with him personally. As Christians, we get these grand ideas. We want to make a great impact. I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to do that for God. We we want the world to see Jesus. You and I ain't going to do a thing for God without God. Did you catch that? You and I aren't going to do a thing for God without God. And so what do we do? We try to raise godly kids. We try to have godly marriages. We try to make a godly impact in our workplace, in our homes, in our communities without God. I grew up in rural Oklahoma. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I know something. That's stupid. We can't do a thing without God. I'm going to say that again. We can't do a thing without God. Man, I'm just ignorant enough to believe that if God's people would get desperate for God's power, he would show up and move. We want to display Christ to the world. You've got to fight to get alone with God every single day. How many of us know in here this morning that Satan will do absolutely everything within his power to keep you from spending time with God? Oh, here, got my morning coffee. Got my bagel, bagel as they say in Toronto. Got my, got my Bible. Oh, I got, got my new pen. Got my new prayer journal. Got it all laid out right here before me. You sit down and get comfortable. Oh, and as moment you begin to pray, what happens? Mom, dad, your phone starts going off. You try to quiet your mind. You start thinking about things from when you were nine years old. You try to quiet your mind. You start thinking about what you're going to have for dinner tonight. Well, do we have all this? Well, I better get back. Father, help me to focus. And before you say, Father, help me to focus, you're already thinking about something different. Can I get a witness today? It's hard to get along with God. And you know why Satan will do anything in his power to keep you from getting along with God? 
because he knows that everything you need is at his feet. He knows that's where you're going to get your cup filled up for that day. I'm not talking about getting your ticket punched to heaven. Praise God that he has saved you. I'm talking about power and anointing for today, to live for today, to share the gospel with the clerk at Kroger, to tell the mechanic about Jesus, to be a good witness and not lose my mind with one of my kids' school teachers. I need him not just to preach good sermons. I need him to get up out of the bed in the morning. I need him to be the kind of dad that my kids need. I need him to be the kind of husband my wife needs. We've got to get desperate to display Christ. And the only way we can display Christ in a way that glorifies Christ is through his anointing and through his power. I'm going to tell you why so many Christians look so much like the world. Why do so many Christians think like the world? Why do so many Christians act like the world? Why do so many Christians speak like the world and look like the world and are obsessed with the world? Because they're not regularly spending time with God. Matthew chapter five, verse six, the greatest sermon ever preached by Christ. He says this in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who, what church? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. My question is simple today. What are we hungry for? What are we thirsting for? Are we hungry and thirsty for righteousness? Are we being filled with the things of God or are we being filled with the things of this world? A.W. Tozer says this, and I quote, if it stops you from getting closer to God, then it needs to go. If it stops you from getting closer to God, then it needs to go. In order to live a life of great impact, we must be full of the Holy Spirit. We must display Christ for all to see. Next, you and I must know the word of God. We have to know the Bible. What Stephen does in Acts chapter 7 is a master class in how we should handle difficulties in this life. After his accusers get done with their lies, in Acts chapter 7 verse 1, it says, The high priest standing over the trial says, Are these things so? And Stephen says, listen to me, brothers and sisters. In other words, Stephen says, listen up. You've said what you wanted to say. And now, let me pause. You've said what you wanted to say. And now, how do we typically finish that line? If we're in an argument with a friend or family member or whatever, we listen politely just thinking about how we're about to roast them as soon as they finish saying whatever they're going to say. And we finish that line by saying this, you've said what you've wanted to say and now I'm going to say what I want to say, right? Stephen doesn't do that. Stephen says to this council with the power and unction of the spirit of God in his life, looks him in the eyes and says, you've said what you're going to say, now I'm going to say what God already said. Did you catch that? He doesn't start trying to defend himself. He, he says, you said what you're going to say. Now I'm about to just quote a whole lot of scripture to you. And for the next 50 verses, what does Stephen talk about? Does he say, woe is me for you treating me this way. I don't deserve all this. 
Stephen doesn't give his opinions on how unfair all of it is. Stephen gives us a master class on his knowledge of the word of God. We don't have nearly enough time today because we're Baptists and not Pentecostals. But God's promise to Abraham is covered by Stephen. His covenant with the Jews is covered by Stephen. God's faithfulness through Joseph is covered by Stephen. Moses is covered by Stephen. Israel's continual rejection of God is covered by Stephen. He essentially gives them a panoramic view of the entire Old Testament. Not to defend himself. What is Stephen accused of? Do you remember? He's accused of speaking blasphemy against the temple and against the law. He isn't giving this discourse to defend himself, rather to proclaim what they are blind at seeing because they have hardened religious hearts. Using the Old Testament, Stephen says to them, you don't get it. God doesn't indwell in a building no more. You don't get it. All the things that you believe are necessary in order to be right with God are wrong. God now inhabits his people. John Stott says this, a single thread runs right through Stephen's defense. It is that the God of Israel is a pilgrim God who is not restricted to any one place. If he has any home on earth, it is with his people that he lives. Hebrews chapter three, verse six, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house. Whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. John 14, 23. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will what church? Come to him and make our abode in him. A Messiah has come is what Stephen is saying. He's saying Jesus has come and he dwells within his people. First Peter chapter five, verse nine. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible it says resist him firm in your faith. How do we resist our enemy? Satan. How do we fight the enemy? How do we stand firm in our faith in an upside down crazy world? We must understand and know this book. From front to back, every word, every letter, we must know the word of God. Let me tell you something today, church. All we got to see all across North America is that Satan is attacking the bride of Christ in a crazy way. And while Satan is attacking God's people, we don't even know what we believe. And we're getting drifted here and there and everywhere because we're not aligned in understanding the word of God. Did you know that there has never been a time in our existence where we've had more access to the word of God and yet there has never been another time in our existence where we are more biblically illiterate. Sometimes as church members, we get so proud and we say, well, my pastor preaches the word of God. He stands on the word of God. He knows the word of God. I praise God daily for Pastor Chuck. You Praise God daily for Pastor Chuck, that he knows the word of God and stands on the word of God, that he protects this pulpit. But did you know this? It's not good enough just for pastor to know the word of God. We've got to know the word of God. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, be diligent 
to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Do you know the word of God? Do we know the word of God? Do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? How do we live a life of great impact? Be full of the Holy Spirit. Display Christ for all to see. Know the word of God and perhaps the most difficult, live courageous. Live courageous. You want to make a great impact with your life? Just buckle up. Like they used to say to us in the Marine Corps, buckle up, buttercup. When things got serious, buckle up, buttercup. You want to get serious about your faith? We're talking about missions. You want, you want to talk about going around the world? You want, you want to talk about going and do something for Christ? You want to talk about going across the street and sharing the gospel with your neighbor? Buckle up, because Satan hates those things. And the moment you begin to say, I'm going to live my life on mission for the glory of my King, Jesus Christ, you put a big old bull's eye on your back. And Satan comes for you. We don't have nearly enough time today. But Eric and I could tell you story after story after story from the past 12 years of spiritual warfare. Why? And you could too. Because when we simply strive to obey Christ and live courageous, the enemy comes. Have you ever heard of that phrase before? Speaking truth to power? Man, Stephen finishes with this Bible lesson and then he looks them in the eyes and he says this in verses 51 through 53 and he's about to speak truth to power. You men, who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are always doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the religious one, and you have now become betrayers and murderers of him. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Wow. Stephen's life is literally on the line right here. And he doesn't think to himself, what can I say to kind of massage this truth in a way that may be palpable to their religious ears, but also kind of save my life and get me off the hook. He doesn't cater to any of that flesh. He looks at them and he says, I'm going to speak truth-filled fire to these men with a profound courage why? That's my question to us today. Why does he do this? How can he do this? Because God help me. God help us. He understood what so often the church in North America fails to comprehend. This life does not belong to us. The cars we're about to get into to go to lunch or to homes or what, they don't belong to you. The tables you and I are about to sit down to eat a meal, none of it belongs to us. The babies you're gonna tuck in tonight, the grandbabies you're gonna call tonight, none of it belongs to you. 
If you are here this morning and you've repented of your sins and you've placed your faith and trust in Christ alone as Lord and Savior, you don't own your life anymore. I, I was preaching at a conference once and a guy came up to me years ago and said, how could you move your wife and, and kids away from Memphis to, to a place like Toronto? And I told him, I said, because it's not my life. You, you think you're making decisions. I think I'm making decisions. God's in control of this ship. You know why Stephen lived courageous? Stephen lived courageous the same way Daniel did in the lion's den. Stephen lived courageous the same way Esther did before the king. He lived courageous the same way David did before Goliath. He lived courageous the same way Hannah did when she trusted her God with her son. They all lived courageous the same way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did because God is in the fire with us. For those of us this morning that have pledged allegiance to Christ, our king, our lives are not our own. And here's the really good news about that. We don't have to be in charge no more. Maybe some of you here today are being called to do something. Man, the Spirit of God has been talking to you about something for years. I don't care if it's been 10 years. I don't care if it's been 10 minutes in the midst of this sermon. God's talking to you about something. And you just keep trying to quiet that voice. You keep trying to just kind of put it off to the side. I want to remind you today, don't do that. Your life doesn't belong to you. You want to live a life of great impact? Live courageous. You see, Stephen and so many other great men and women of the Bible, they didn't live for this world. They lived for the next one. As I was preparing this week, Erica reminded me of Hebrews 11 when I was talking to her about this portion of the sermon. Many of you know that chapter we often reference it as the hall of faith, but, but I want us to go there this morning. Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. It says, all these died in faith, all these martyrs, like Stephen. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen and welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for those who say such things, make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country which they left, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. Can I get a witness today? Somebody ready for a better country? Somebody ready for a better home? I'm ready for heaven. Come right now, Christ Jesus. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Oh, beloved, do you see it? We oftentimes do not live courageous because we're not living for our eternal home. We're living for this one. I'm going to tell you something right now. This one will disappoint you every day of the week and twice on Sunday. This home will always disappoint you. You know why? 
because we weren't made for it. We're foreigners here. We're, we're, we're all aliens. We're all immigrants. We don't belong here if we're in Christ Jesus. We're just passing through here for a little while. This is why it's so important to live courageous lives. Because if you and I choose not to live courageous lives, full of the power of the Holy Spirit, displaying for Christ all to see, understanding and knowing the word of God, lives are literally at stake. You say, well, I'm just too scared to share my faith. Somebody's gonna go to hell. Well, I'm just too scared to pray over something. Someone's gonna go to bed tonight discouraged because we're too scared to live out our faith with courage. Speaking of lives, what happens to Stevens? Well, darkness always hates light. Acts chapter seven, verse 54. Now when they heard this, they were infuriated and they began gnashing their teeth at him. Can you imagine? Hey husbands, you ever been in a conversation with your wife and uh, you kind of, things maybe didn't go so well and you kind of, maybe the day goes on, you kind of hope things got a little better when you went away, but then, you know, like you're, you get home and you see that face and you think, uh-oh, maybe it didn't get better. <laughs> but, but, but maybe as mad or angry as you think your spouse might be at you, I mean, come see Pastor Chuck afterwards. I hope they've never gnashed their teeth at you, right? They're literally gnashing their teeth at Stephen. Do you see the hatred here? It's like it's dripping on these pages. I mean, they hate him. They're so infuriated, they literally begin gnashing their teeth. But Stephen doesn't get sidetracked. He doesn't get weak need. He doesn't get distracted. He keeps his gaze and his focus on Christ. And his, if his rebuke towards his counsel didn't make them angry enough, look at verses 55 through 56. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently into heaven. Oh, I love this passage. And saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. Wow. We're going to give you a three minute break and we're going to come back here for another 45 minutes. I'm going to unpack that verse. Okay. I'm kidding. But we could do a sermon series over those two verses right there. And that did it. That put them over the edge and sealed the fate of Stephen's existence in this world. In this world. Look at verses 57 through 60. But they shouted with loud voices and covered their ears and rushed at him with one mind. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. Yes, that Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out with a loud voice. Now watch this, church. Lord, do not hold this sin against him. Does that remind you of someone? Father, forgive them for they know not which they do. 
I'm going to give you a little bonus material before we close. This is for free. You and I will never live a life of great impact if we walk around with bitterness and unforgiveness in our hearts all the time. Every single person in this room, we've all been wronged and we've all wronged other people. But you know why we get so absorbed and so caught up with our hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness towards other people? Because we're not focused on Christ. Stephen is focused on Christ. Stephen is focused on his mission. Stephen is focused on his mandate. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. That's our story. What a life of great impact. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. He displayed Christ in such a manner for all to see that his face literally shone. He knew the word of God in such a way he didn't even need a copy of the Old Testament. It was birthed in his heart and on his mind. You want to talk about somebody who lived their life courageously for Christ? Stephen did that. So as we close today, allow me to ask the question we began with again. What will you do with your life? Actually, let's ask it in another way. What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your life? What are you doing with this book? What are you doing with the resources that God has given to you? What are you doing with your mind, your intellect? What are you doing with your emotions? What are you doing with anger comes? What are you doing with joy comes? What what are you doing with all the capacities that our Heavenly Father has given to you and gifted to you? What are you doing with your life? Are you living your life for the glory of King Jesus? Have you taken the crown off of our King and placed it on top of your own brow? Oh, not visibly for all to see, but in your heart. He no longer reigns, you do. You know what I love so much about our king? He just keeps on giving us more chances. See, none of us have arrived. And today, maybe you came here and you need your cup filled. In just a moment, we're going to invite the ministers. They're going to come and you can go to a minister. You can come here at the altar and you can cry out to God. You can ask the Holy Spirit to give you a fresh feeling of his power on your life. You can walk through these principles that we looked at today. Examine them. Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Do you know the word of God? Do you display Christ to see? When other people see you, do they see Jesus? Or do they see just another person in the world that is lost and confused and is seeking for truth? Are you living your life with courage? You know, there's no such thing as an undercover Christian. As we close today, there's another verse I want to share. It's found in Hebrews 11, verses 37 through 38. 
they, the martyrs, were put to death by stoning, like we saw today with Stephen. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ministered. And man, here it is. I want this for my life. The world was not worthy of them. Not, not like we're too good to live in the world. Like we are so fixated and focused on our eternal home that we can't live in this world without Christ. We can't live in this world without focus on Jesus. The world was not worthy of them. What will be said about your life when you leave this world? If you're here today and you've never repented of your sins and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I wanna encourage you today to do that. Today you can be born again. You will never live a life of great impact without Christ. If you're here today and you know Jesus, you trust Jesus, but you know something's off in your walk with him, don't neglect the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in your lives. Obey. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for all the good things you've given to us. God, I thank you that you've given us life, that you've granted to us life, that you have provided us an opportunity to breathe and even the air right now within our lungs, God, that we're speaking to you. It comes from you. God, I thank you for the calling that you've placed on every single follower of yours today to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ that redeems and saves and rescues. Father, I pray that today you would radically change somebody's life, either in this room, listening online, that Holy Spirit, that you would convict of sin, that you would draw them to the Father, that they would repent and trust fully in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would work amongst your saints today, amongst the people here today, that if there's anything out of alignment in our lives that does not look like you, show us what that is. Help us, God, to obey you in this moment, in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.